Today, like Marty said, we're going to be starting a, our Christmas series. And this series is going to be a little different. Because what we're going to do is we're going to take a look at some of the amazing symbols that we have come to love and adore about Christmas. We're going to take a look at the star. We're going to take a look at the gifts, the, the tree, and Christmas, or uh, candle lighting. Today, though, we're going to start by looking at the star of Bethlehem and how it relates to our life today. Take a look, Matthew 2, 1 through 12. Here's a Christmas story. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chiefs, priests, and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Christ was to be born. In Bethlehem, in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you will come a ruler who will be the shepherd of my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and make a careful search for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. After they had heard the king, they went on their way. And the star that they had seen in the east went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were over, overjoyed. Our, on coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold and of incense and of myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they, turned to their, they returned to their country by another route. You can't have the Christmas story without the wise men. And you can't have the Christmas story without the star of Bethlehem. And let's admit, there's a lot of confusion when it comes to the Christmas story. Like one of our kids here at LifePoint says, what's the deal with pet the ham? Okay? And the teacher says, what do you mean pet the ham? Yeah, that pet the ham, you know what I'm talking about. And the teacher says, no, I don't know what you're talking about. And, and, the and he said, you know, the one song that they sang, they came to bet the ham, pet the ham. Lots of confusion out there, okay? And the teacher says, oh, I understand now. What is the star of pet the ham? Well, three things come to the surface. The star, the seekers, and the Savior. Let's take a look first at the star. What does this star mean to us today? Well, when you talk about the star, the star of Bethlehem is one of the most important symbols in Christianity. In fact, it is one of the greatest icons of, of the Christian faith after the cross. This star was a supernatural sign that was announcing to the world this. Will you write this down if you have your notes? The birth of Christ the King. You see, 2,000 years ago, folks, they didn't have Fox News. 
They didn't have CNBC. They didn't have MSNBC. They didn't have ABC World News. They didn't have on-the-scene reporters as we do today talking to Mary and Joseph about this child. Oh, this is the Messiah, the Christ? And folks, they didn't have reality TV. Could you imagine what Mary and Joseph would have done back then if there was reality TV? I am so thankful Jesus was born 2,000 plus years ago, folks. But the way that God announced it to the world, the most significant birth that has ever occurred, folks, he did it through the stars. God gave a miraculous sign in the sky to guide these magi, these wise men, to Bethlehem so that they might worship Christ the King. Now, what you may not know is that we have an abundance of evidence that concludes that this star was actually an astronomical sign that the Magi followed. They actually saw it. They actually traced it. They actually followed this sign. What is so amazing today, because of the advancement of technology and of software, and because of the way God has created the universe, folks, we can go back 2,000 plus years and understand what the heavens were like above Jerusalem and Bethlehem. The constellations, the stars, the planets, gravity, the rotation of it all. And all of those things God created like a watch with precision. And because of modern technology today, we can go back 2,000 plus years ago and replicate what the heavens were like above Jerusalem and Bethlehem. Now, I know some of you may disbelieve that. And so I would encourage you to go to a website called BethlehemStar.net. You can Google it, you can Bing it, you can Yahoo it. And what you will find is that there is a professor, Professor Fred Lawrence, a law professor at Texas A&M that has done extensive research. Oh, we got an A&Mer out there somewhere, okay? Who has done extensive research on the star of Bethlehem. And his findings are both biblical and scientific according to Christianity today. And corroborated by NASA scientists. The evidence is so powerful and overwhelming. That if you are shaky in your faith. Folks, you can go to that website. In fact, you can order the, the, the video or you can watch it on Prime Amazon and you will be awed. Through his research and software, he was able to trace what the skies were like over Bethlehem on that first Christmas day 2,000 plus years ago. And what he found was not just a star but the coming together of two planets, Jupiter and Venus, that has been recorded in ancient texts. And the illumination of those two planets appeared like a star in the sky right over Bethlehem. Today, there is so much we know because of science and technology that it will wow you. 
How did this all happen? God arranged it from years and thousands and thousands and thousands of years ago. Take a look at this verse in Genesis chapter 1, verse 14. And God said, let there be lights in the expanse of the sky to separate the day from the night and let, there, let them serve as what? As signs to mark seasons and days and years. Will you circle signs? Here is the amazing thing about God. Folks, he created it and he arranged it. But more than that, he is intimately involved with his creation. Take a look at Psalms 147, verse 4. He determines the number of stars and calls them each by name. God not only created the stars, and folks, he didn't just create a few stars. He created billions upon billions upon billions of stars. And he knows every one of them. He's named them. He is intimately involved in them. He knows where they're at and with the rotations of, that he has set up, he knows where they'll be at and at what time they'll be there. He is intimately involved in his creation. And David said this in Psalms 19. The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day, they pour forth speech. Night after night, they display knowledge. David is saying here that God is sending a message from heaven to earth. He's saying, you know what? There is a sermon that is preached Every day, every morning, and every evening, whether you know it or not. When you go to bed, you go to bed with a sermon. When you wake up in the morning, you wake up to a sermon. Which, by the way, doesn't mean that you can forget my sermons, okay? But every day, God is communicating His majesty, His glory, His power, and His wisdom that is worth praising god for now here is where mankind gets into trouble in romans 1 paul says this that the wrath of god is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of men who suppress the truth by their wickedness since what may be known about god is plain to them because god has made it plain to them for since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that men are without excuse. And then in verse 25, he says, and they worshiped and served things God created instead of the creator himself. You see, there is a difference, is there not, between astrology and astronomy. God in the Bible condemns astrology. We don't look to the stars so as to bow down and worship them. No, we look to the heavens because there is a message from God to you and I. Before we had the Bible, 
God communicated to people through creation. And yet I would have you know that even today, if every Bible in the world was destroyed, God and the gospel would still get out. The message of Christ would still be proclaimed. How? Through the stars. There is a book out there written by Seiss called The Gospel in the Stars. This book is absolutely fascinating. All of the signs of the zodiac point to Jesus Christ. You can see the gospel in the heavens. You can can see the coming of Christ, the birth of Christ, the death of Christ, the resurrection of Christ, the birth of the church, the return of Christ. Folks, it's all in the stars. Now, do we look to those so as to worship them? No, not at all. We look to the heavens for a message about God. And all the signs point to who he is, point to who Christ is. And so this star that these wise men saw was an amazing symbol. This star was a sign that guided them from far east all the way to Jerusalem and then eventually to Bethlehem so that they might worship not the star, but Christ the King. Now I want to pause here as we unfold this symbol and I want to ask us a question. What star is guiding you? The reality is we all need guidance, don't we? We all are guided by something. When I think of the dark period of history that we are in, as described by some as a dark winter, I think about the dark history of our nation several hundred years ago during times of slavery. And I think of the Underground Railroad that worked to free slaves. These slaves would travel at night via the Underground Railroad. And they travel, and, and as they traveled, they couldn't see the natural landmarks that were there. It was dark. And so they looked to the North Star to guide them. And if they found the North Star, and if they followed it correctly, it would lead them to freedom. And so I ask you again, during this dark time in the history of our nation, what is guiding, what is your guiding star? Is it leading you to fear or is it leading you to freedom? I happen to believe that God's word is God's guiding light for us in the dark world that we live in right now. Like David said, your word is a lamp unto my feet. It is light, it is a light unto my path. And it is a sure word, like Peter said, that shines like a bright star in a dark world. I believe with all of my heart, God's word helps us to navigate 
through life. It helps us to find freedom, to walk in freedom, to remain in freedom. The Bible can become your guiding light. That is, if you and I will just read it. Now, I think we all know what the major theme of the Bible is. If you had to summarize it in one verse, it'd be John 3.16, right? For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. From Genesis 1-1 through Revelations 22-21, it is a story about God's love for people and how he wants to redeem them to himself. It is an amazing story. And yet, within that story are sub-stories. Those are the ones I like to teach. I like to teach the sub-stories that lead back to the main story. Think about this. The Bible is not a book about marriage. But it is filled with lots of practical advice about marriage to set marriages free. The Bible can be your guiding light. The Bible isn't a book about parenting, but it is just chock full of principles on how to raise a good and godly family. If you'll read the Bible. I think we all know that the Bible isn't a book about finances, but there's some astounding advice about money. The Bible can be your guiding light. It is not a book about building a successful business and becoming a good leader, but it is filled with all kinds of principles about those things. But it's got to be your guiding light. As our church is discerning who the next pastor is going to be coming into the church I began giving myself to that very topic matter and say, God, how do you make hard decisions? What does your word have to say to that? And I pulled Dennis into my office and says, here's what God's given me, and it's on my board. I look at it every day because it's got practical advice. If you look to and study U.S. history, It's pretty easy to understand that this nation, as great as it is, has been built upon biblical principles. Just study the founding fathers. 95% of them were Christian and the other 5% were deist. It's if, if the Bible becomes your North Star, if it becomes your guiding light, it can help you in every area. This leads us to the seekers. Now, who in the world were these magi? Well, some say they were wizards. Kind of like Merlin in the Disney movie, uh, Sword in the Stone. Okay, Some think, no, they were magicians like Harry Potter. They weren't any of those things. Will you write this down? They were deeply spiritual individuals. They were deeply spiritual individuals. They didn't have the full picture yet, 
But they had enough of the picture that they wanted to find the one that was promised. That was promised to come and would be the Messiah, the King. And you want to know how they found out about it? By looking to the heavens. They weren't astrologers. They were astronomers. In fact, some say because of the specific sect that they came from, that they were associated with prophet, the prophet Daniel in Babylon. And there is a whole book in the Bible about Daniel. And if you read it, you'll find that at least half of it is prophetic. Babylon was in modern-day Iraq or Iran. And Matthew says they came from the east, which is where Babylon would have been. And so these magi, these astronomers, more than likely, came from the lineage of Daniel, which means that they understood the scriptures and they understood the prophecies that one day the Messiah, the King, would come. And they studied the signs in the heaven. And when they saw the sign, the star in their minds, they knew it was time. And guess what they did? They launched out. They went on a long journey, all to do one thing, to worship the Messiah, the King. They traveled a long distance just to do that. Now, how many of you know right now Raise your hands. You who are out there virtually, which are a lot of you, I don't care whether you're in your bed, in your pajamas, Davy Gray, I want you to raise your hand. How many of us know that travel back then is different than travel is now? May I see your hands? Get, get, get those hands up. Okay. You see, back then, or today, we measure travel differently, don't we? We, we measure it in hours and in minutes. When, when I go see to my mom up in Kansas City, it is a one hour and 30 minute trip on Southwest Airlines, okay? When Dennis and I go to Cameroon, it is a 28 to 29 hour trip from Dallas to, to Chicago, from Chicago to Belgium, from Belgium to Douala, from Douala to, Cam, to Yawande, Cameroon. 28 hours. Coming back the same way it's a 40 hour because of layovers. We measure today travel in time, uh, in hours and in minutes. But back then, they measured it in days and weeks and months. Now, can you imagine in this story if these magi had kids? You know what the first question is uh, of a kid, right, right when, you, when you travel? Are we there yet? That's the first question, Okay. That question isn't as prevalent today because now uh, we have figured out that if we give them a video and put it in the back of our seat, they can watch that thing all the way there. But that's the first question. I can imagine if these kids would have asked the Magi, hey, are we there yet? They'd have said, shut up. We got three months, three weeks, five days, and 21 hours before we get there, okay? And yet here's what's interesting to me. I believe these Magi teach us something about the need that we have to be earnest in our pursuit of Christ. These 
Magi, in my opinion, were the very first seekers. They were the true seekers. Not any different from us, I believe. Because we're all seeking something, aren't we? And that's okay. Some of us are seeking a mate. It's okay. Some of us are seeking prosperity. That's okay. Some of us are seeking stability. Nothing wrong with that. Some of us are seeking significance. These magi were seeking the Messiah. And they were willing to travel long distances. They were willing to leave their family and their friends. They were willing to sacrifice their security and their comfort to follow a star that they didn't know where in the world that was going. But they followed it for one purpose and one purpose only. They might worship. Folks, I don't know about you, but that gets me excited in my spirit. I could not wait. It's my favorite time of the year. Thanksgiving and then all the holidays and the Christmas that comes afterwards. I get excited when I think of these wise men. And that's how the Bible describes them, doesn't it? It doesn't describe them as smart men. It describes them as wise men. The Bible doesn't say these smart men from the east came. No. Why? Because you can be smart and not wise. We all know a lot of educated idiots in our culture today. Do we not? Highly educated, book smart, but they they aren't wise according to God's standards. Now, in saying that, I'm not saying these wise men weren't smart. Folks, they were. They figured out the how, the when, the where of the star to find the Christ. I don't know about you, but when I read the Christmas story, it can become ho-hum, right? And so I like to think about it, maybe in different angles, and I thought, what if the story read and wise women from the east I mean, women are wise, aren't they? Hello, ladies. I just, I lifted that up. All right. Guys, don't be quiet. Okay, guys, this one's for you. Raise your hand if you know one wise woman. Raise them. That or you're going to get elbowed like this. Folks, women are wise. This story could have read... And wise women from the east came to worship the Christ child. And yet, if that would have been the case, I guarantee you, the story would have been different, right? They would have gotten there sooner because they asked for directions. And they would have brought practical gifts. I mean, what's this deal for a baby? Gold, frankincense, and myrrh, okay? They would have brought formula, diapers, and a casserole. And they, like the wise men, would have worshipped. No ifs, ands, buts about that. But if you read the story about the wise men, after they worshipped, they left. Wise women would not have done that. They would have stayed and cleaned up the stable. The story would have been different. Now here's what I love, though, about the Magi. When they arrived, they asked a question that I think we all need to ask ourselves. And it is this, where is he? 
When they asked that question, all of Jerusalem was, where's who? And they said, don't you know the star? The star has appeared in the heavens. Where is he? And all of Jerusalem, the capital of educated, knowledgeable people, were dumbfounded. In this story, there are two kings. One is eternal. And one is earthly. One lives forever. And the other died a terrible death. None of them were searching. You, you would have thought that they would have because of this supernatural thing that was in the sky. God announcing to the world, the king, the Messiah of the universe has arrived. But only the wise men were seeking. Herod was clueless. He said to his counselors, what in the world is up, guys? Well, what is this Messiah thing? And these teachers only had knowledge of one prophecy, and there's so many of them. Out of Micah 5, they said, said But you, Bethlehem, Euphrathah, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origin are from of old, from ancient times. That prophecy narrows it down because there's other ones that came before this one, like one in Numbers 24. It says, I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star will come out of Jacob. A scepter will rise out of Israel. This was a prophetic sign. And the religious leaders, folks, they were smart. But they weren't wise. They weren't at all seeking to find Christ and worship him. In fact, Herod, he was really disturbed by this because it was competition to his throne. And so he told them, hey, if you find him, hey, hey I'm willing to go worship this guy. And when they didn't return that way, he sent his soldiers and he killed every child, two year, every boy child, two years and younger. You see, not everyone is seeking to find Christ. But these wise men were willing to leave it all, to find the one who defines life and who defines eternity. Paul talks about this. He says in 1 Corinthians 13, When I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put childish ways behind me. When you are introduced to a greater way of life, when you are introduced to the way, the truth, and the life, you put away childish things because guess what? They don't matter anymore. I remember when my dad retired from the Navy. And we came back to Sugar Creek, Missouri, and we moved into our first house. That Christmas, oh, it was wow. I got a 10-speed Schwinn bike. It was the only 10-speed in the neighborhood. I was the envy of every kid. And do you know what I did? I gave up my one-speed bike. <laughs> 
And when I turned 16, my mom and dad sold me a 1967 forest green Volkswagen Bug, three on the floor. I mean, it was hot. And you know what I did? I gave up my 10-speed bike. When you find the greater, you give up the lesser. Paul personally, in his story, testifies to this. He says, in essence, you know what? You can spend all the money that you want to accumulate power and prestige and position and property. But when you find the real thing, those things will turn your stomach. Philippians chapter 3, verses 4 through 8. If anyone else thinks he has reason to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regards to the law of Pharisee, as for zeal persecuting the church, as for legalistic righteousness, faultless. But whatever was to my profit, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For whose sake I have lost all things, I consider them rubbish. That word in the Greek is manure. Or it could start with the letter S if you know what I'm talking about. That I may gain Christ. Paul here is saying, you know, I had it all. I had it all. But it turned my stomach as I thought about it. In comparison to Christ. Every year that my wife and I go to Colorado, love the mountains. I mean, you in creation, God is speaking loud there, I tell you. We go 287 up through Amarillo into New Mexico, and you come to this town called Clayton, New Mexico, and outside that town is a cattle transferring station. You can smell, and there are thousands upon thousands uh, of cattle with thousands and thousands and thousands of um, manure pies and you can smell it for miles away cheryl and i when we get to clayton outside we turn off our air conditioner because it just sucks the, the the smell in we wait till we get past it upwind from it because it will turn your stomach paul is saying at the end of the day this, the, this pile of accomplishments that we have in comparison to Christ will turn your stomach. A number of years ago, there was a priest that raised money to take kids that lived in the projects around Boston to Boston to see the finer things of life, to see museums and to go to symphonies and to see the fine architecture. And after the trip was over, the boys went back, or the kids went back into the project. And a few days later, a boy burnt down his apartment. And the backstory was simply this, as the priest talked with him about it. Why did you do it? And he said, after I saw how beautiful the world was supposed to be, I wanted the ugliness of my world to go away. Can you imagine that? for yourself in the dark world that we are living in right now in this period of history 
When you see the glory of God in the face of Christ like these wise men did, you will leave it all. And so again, I ask you this question. What star are you following? Because folks, we're all following a star. We're all in need of guidance. What star are we allowing to guide us? And where is it leading you to? Is it leading you to fear? Or is it leading you to freedom? Dallas Willard is a famous professor of philosophy at USC. He wrote the book, The Divine Conspiracy. And in his lecture, or lectures, to his students, mostly atheist and agnostic, at some point in time, he declares to them, you know what, I'm a Christian. And they ask, why would you follow Christ? And in his book, he says, he responds to that question by saying this, who better to follow? You got someone better in mind? Do you think Plato would be a better choice? How about Socrates, Nietzsche, or Aristotle? How about Cicero, who said slavery wasn't even an ethical issue? Do you have a better star to hitch your life's wagon to? That is the question that he asks his students to help them help move them from knowledge to wisdom. I want to close this morning with a mathematical equation. You can choose any three-digit number that you want, as long as it's not repeating, like 666 or 333 or 111 or 222. You can choose 343. You can choose 5 or 454, okay? I've chosen 243. You'll see it on the big screen. You take that number, 243, and you reverse it to 342. Then you subtract 243 from 342, and you get 99. Anytime you get a two-digit number, you put a zero in front of it. So you have 099. Then you reverse that number, 990, and you add it to 099. And that gives you 1000. 89. No matter what number, non-repeating number, that three-digit three number that's non-repeating that you use, you will come up with 1,089. Aren't you awed by that? And you're sitting there, okay, George, what in the world does this have to do with Bethlehem? And the star. Simply this. If you follow the formula. Like this one. You will end up in the same place. No matter where you start off in life. If you follow the formula. You will end up in the same place. Some people start in mansions. Other people start in projects. Some people start 
with a heritage of faith. Other people have no faith at all. Some people start from good homes. Others have no homes at all. But like the formula, if you follow it, follow the star, you will all come to the same place. You will come to a baby. And why a baby? Because there's no fear in babies. No one is scared of a baby. You will come to a teacher who will give you wisdom. Wisdom for every area of life if you'll just read the book. And you will come to a healer who wants to heal relationships and to bring peace into this world. And you will come to a risen Savior, the Son of God, who wants to save you. And what will happen when you catch a glimpse of that? You will forget all of the stuff. You will be behind you, and you will worship Christ. Let's start the season with worship. Let's pray. Lord, this is just an awesome time of the year. And it is easy to think that the Christmas story, I know for my own self, that it is just ho-hum, been there, done that, read that, year after year after year. But there is so much in it that helps us to understand who you are. That we might worship you. That we might adore you. That we might lift you up. That we might exalt you. That we might give ourselves to you. That we might that we might follow you. Knowing that as we do, you will bless us. There's nothing that we can give you that you don't already have. But in our giving, God, you see our hearts and you respond in kind by blessing our lives way beyond what we deserve. And God, as we enter into this Christmas season, bless us. Open our eyes to see those things that really matter to mo the most. And give us a peace that passes all understanding as we look with the eyes of faith into your word that gives us courage, that gives us peace drives away the fear that's in our hearts and in our minds. I don't know where you're at in your journey. But if you haven't given your life to Christ, maybe you've heard about Him. Hey, we live in the South. we got a lot of knowledge in our heads. But have you made it wisdom by dropping it into your heart? you haven't done that will you do that and it can be done as simply as just saying God right now 
I receive the gift that you have for me through your son, Jesus Christ, the forgiveness and the grace that you offer to me through him. And I'm dropping him from my head into my heart right now, God. And fill me with your light that I might have eyes to see and a heart to feel and the strength to walk in this world and during this time. And if you prayed that prayer, however you prayed it, I guarantee you this, God heard it. Would you let me know? You can text 73, or you can text 94,000, new start, and let me know. For those of you who are virtual right now, you can do that here in the big house as well. Or you can let me know after the service at George. I've done that. I'll give you a COVID safe 19 high five. But will you do it? God, we give you this. We give you this season. And we're asking you to open up our eyes. We're asking you to give us hearts of joy that we might celebrate you, God, that we might celebrate the gifts you've given us in one another. And so we lift this up to you. In your son's precious name we pray. Amen.